So this text here, I felt like I, have ne- I would have needed it about a week and a half to dig into. And seriously, and when we go through it and you see what I have, what I've prepared, you'll understand. And, um, and so I've had about a day and a half. And so I feel, just, you know, be honest with you, not, you know, I don't know how many preachers will get up here and really tell you they feel unprepared. I just feel a little like, Lord, this text is the Holy Grail in the New Testament. It really is. These first five verses of the Gospel of John, this is some of the most rich theological truths that you will encounter in the entire Bible. And it's about, it's about Jesus. It's about the, the nature of God, the nature of Jesus and who he is. And so I, I feel um, uh, humbled that I would be able to cover this text. This is such a beautiful portion of scripture. And Pastor Nay had, when we uh, talked a couple of days ago, he said, yeah, you'll probably be able to cover the first 13 verses and I'll pick up in verse 14. And so then I spent some time reading it and I went back yesterday and said, no, I'm only covering the first five verses. <laughs> you got to pick up in verse six because uh, there's just too much to cover if I went and covered the first 13. So, so we're going to co- start the Gospel of John. And the, the Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels, the, the term that they're given, they're called the synoptic Gospels. And it's basically just a term meaning that, that the other three Gospels give a synopsis of the life of Jesus. And so the Gospel of John is different in that it doesn't highlight as many of the details in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the other Gospels do. And, and the introduction in the way that John starts is different than the other three Gospels. In Matthew and Luke, uh, they start with the genealogy of Jesus. And they're showing how Jesus was born of a virgin and they go through his lineage and his genealogy. Well, John dives headlong into a specific purpose. He has a mission. He's trying to communicate something specific. And he's trying to communicate that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he dives headlong into some heavy doctrine and theology. And so we're going to cover that. And so the main thing, I'm going to get into to some other details about the book of John. But just by way of introduction... Uh, John is trying to reveal to his readers, to all of us, to all of the readers throughout gospel history, that Jesus is God. And so if all we saw was the testimony of the gospel of John that Jesus was God, that, that would be good for us. But we can look throughout the entire New Testament. I mean, you can see in the Old Testament even how Jesus is hidden within the prophecies of the Old Testament. He's concealed within the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he is revealed for all to see as God, as God in the flesh, as the Son of God. And so I just want to kind of look throughout the New Testament at kind of a survey of how Jesus himself declared that he was God and how other writers of the New Testament made it clear clear, abundantly clear that Jesus was just not a good man. He didn't come just to be a good man, just to be a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He came as the son of God. He was fully God and fully man. And he came to die on the cross for us, but he never lost his deity when he came on the earth as man. And so this is what John is revealing to us. But let's look, let's look at several portions of scripture here and several things that really throughout the New Testament, demonstrate uh, the, the nature of Jesus. In the book of John, as we go through it, there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. And he uses, he uses the, 
the, the term I am to describe himself seven different times. And that term I am is a, is a divine term. It's, 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 it's a way that God is described as the eternal God in the Old Testament. He is I am that I am. He is the eternal God. And so Jesus took upon himself that term and he described himself as I am. And, you know, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus would, would, would call himself this and the Pharisees and the scribes would pick up stones and want to come. They pick up stones to throw at him and kill him. They, at one, there's one other instance where he, he, he described himself as, as I am and they wanted to, to throw him off of a cliff. And it says that he had to, he, he got through the crowd, he disappeared in the crowd and, and went to another location without them being able to grab him. And so he, and they, the scribes and Pharisees knew what this term meant when he was describing himself like this. So there's seven I am statements, even just in John. The first one, he describes himself, he says, I am the bread of life. Then he says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And so he is describing himself really clearly that he's not just a man or just a healer or a good teacher, just a rabbi. He is equating himself with the great I am. He is saying that he is God. And again, the scribes and Pharisees thought this was blasphemy and they tried to kill him for it. There's another account when Jesus was uh, after the resurrection, after the resurrection, you, you, Thomas doubted the message that Jesus was actually resurrected. And so what does, what does Jesus do? It says that he came where the disciples were. It says that he walked through the wall. Can you imagine that, being in that room? You're just, they, they gathered together. They were in mourning over the fact that Jesus had been crucified and was dead and messengers came and gave them word that Jesus had been resurrected and they're just like can it really be true is it really true and Thomas is, is unsure and Jesus walks through the wall is, in, is, is, is suddenly in the midst of their room and you, you know the conversation goes it says unless I see the hands and the side the wounds I will not believe he's resurrected and listen to this in John twenty twenty eight, and we'll get to this it says this it says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. After Jesus showed him the hands, the, the wounds in his side, he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus did not correct him. He, Thomas declared that Jesus was Lord and God. Another section in John, earlier in John, and this is in the other Gospels too. Uh, Philip, let's, let's read John 14, 8 through 9. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? What does Jesus say? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So what's Jesus saying there? He's saying, he's equating himself as equal with the Father, as equal with God the Father. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We see this again, Paul, in Paul's writings, Paul speaks about Jesus being God in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus just wasn't an ordinary man. 
He didn't strip himself of his deity when he came to the earth. He was fully God. He was fully man, fully man, fully God. He, was our, he is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul also says in Colossians 1, such a powerful section of Scripture. I actually read this on Sunday after the worship. Speaking of Jesus, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. And we're going to get to this point right here. It says, for by him all things were created. In John 1, we're going to see this, that Jesus was at the beginning before the beginning had a beginning. And he is the creator. For by him, Paul says, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is speaking of Jesus. He is God. This is what we're going to see in John. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. We're going to see that in John 1. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fully God. Jesus was was and is the Son of God. Colossians 2.9 says what we just read there in Colossians 1. For in him the, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus Christ. Dwelled in him while he was on earth. And, and he's fully God seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Romans 9.5 Paul says. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race according to the flesh is the Christ. Who is what? God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Jesus is God. This is the weight of the New Testament. Jesus possesses, as we go on here, Jesus possesses and demonstrates the attributes of God. And we see that in all four Gospels. John, John doesn't go into as much of the details Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. But in all four of the Gospels, we see Jesus possessing the very attributes of God. He's omnipresent. We see that in Matthew eighteen twenty. That means he can be anywhere at any time, at all times. He is omnipresent. He's omniscient. We see that in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. He means he is all-knowing. How many times in the Gospels do you see there's conversations that Jesus will have with people and there'll be the phrase, knowing their thoughts. He says this or he says that. He especially did that with the Pharisees and they would criticize and ridicule him and try to come against him and they would be frustrated because he was, he, he was not doing things as a good Jew, as they thought he should do. And they were trying to judge him and he would know their thoughts and he would address issues of their heart. He's omniscient. He demonstrated that while he was on earth. He's omnipotent. He's all, that means he's all powerful. And we see that in Philippians, talked about in Philippians 3.21. He is immutable, which means he's unchangeable. To be immutable, this this is an attribute of God. He is unchanging. We see that in Hebrews 13.8. He is sovereign, God is sovereign. What does it mean that God is sovereign? It means he's all-powerful. That means that he is in control. That means that he has all authority over everything. We see this in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus is giving the great commission. He says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 28. He's sovereign. He's in control. All authority has been given to him. And then also, moving on, as we look, Jesus does, so not only does he possess the attributes of God, 
but he does the works that only God can do. He's the creator. And we're going to see this in John 1. As we read through the first five verses of John 1, he is declared as being creator God. So he's a creator. Only God can create something out of nothing, right? Something out of nothing. Only God is the creator. He sustains the creation. We see that in Colossians 1, 17. He raises the dead. We see that in John 5. He raises the dead. He forgives sin. Who can only forgive sin? God's the only one that can, that can forgive sin. Do you remember the, the, the account? I, I taught from it at the lighthouse a couple of weeks ago where Jesus proved that he could forgive sins by doing a miracle. He was being criticized whenever he told, whenever the, the men lowered down the guy through the roof and, his, and, 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 and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And then the, the, the people in the room, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders said, how can he forgive sin? Who gives him the right to forgive sins? And he knows their thoughts. And he says, just to show you that I have the power to forgive sins, he says, take up your bed and walk, rise and be healed. He demonstrated that he could forgive sins because he was God and he could heal the sick. He could raise the dead. He had power over demons. He cast out demons throughout his ministry. He cast out many demons. You guys know the account in the Gospels where he, he cast out the demons and sent them into the herd of swine. And they went and they drowned into the water. He, he had authority over, over, over creation, over nature. Do you remember the account where the, when, the, when, the, when the disciples are in the boat and the, and the winds and the waves are blowing and, and they're afraid for their life and Jesus is taking a cat nap here. He's passed out and they're worried and, and, they're, and, and they wake him up and say, what are you doing? We're about to die here. And what does Jesus do? He calms the wind and the waves with just a word. It is abundantly clear throughout the New Testament that Jesus is God. And this is what John is trying to say in his gospel. He's trying to communicate. He starts out full bore, full speed ahead, no questions asked, plain and simple, Jesus is God. And this is what we're going to see. But if we were to, if we were to look at, you know, as, as I'm saying here, what the main thrust of John is, it's to demonstrate that Jesus is God. But he, he says it clearly here in John 20. This is the heart of the gospel of John. This is why John is trying to prove that Jesus is God. And he says this in John 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this, in this book, but they're written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As, as we've been saying, there's not as many details but these are written, what I have written, John is saying, it, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the point of the book of John. And that if you believe that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. That's the point of the gospel of John, is that you would see that Jesus is God. That it's clear that he's God. And that, and, that, and that believing that he's God, that he's not just a good teacher, he wasn't just a good man, he didn't just come to, to, to give us a way to live life that's better than any other way. No, he came as God and declared that he was God. And he came to die a sinner's death so that we could have a way for eternal life, a way of forgiveness of sins so that we could be forgiven. He came for that one purpose. He is God in the flesh. So let's, let's, let's look 
And John chapter 1, the first five verses. I, have, I forgot to mention this. Over 100 times, John says in his Gospels the word believe. Over 100 times. You're, you're gonna see, and you're going to see it over and over again as we go through this over the next year, year and a half as we go through John. You're going to see the word believe over 100 times. This is the heart of the Gospel of John. He wants us to, his readers to believe that Jesus is God. So let, let's look at the first five verses and you'll see why... Um, it's going to take us a little while. Buckle your seatbelts. I wish the coffee shop was open. You guys could have got some coffee. But bear with me. We're going to get through some rich theology here. So let's read the first five verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. So in here, I see four main pictures of who Jesus is in in these five verses. And they're some of the most foundational truths of the Christian faith that separate us from other false religious systems. These these four primary things that we're going to bring out here they separate us from all other false religious systems. Let's look at these four things. Let's look at the beauty of Christ tonight and who he is as God. The first thing that we see in those first two verses is that Jesus is God eternal. Jesus is God eternal. He is the eternal God. Let's read those first two verses. It says, in the beginning was the word. That word word there means logos. It's a description of divine word. It's a way to describe God as divine. He is the Logos. He is the divine word. And so he's saying here, John's saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. We're going to get to to the reason why John says he's with God. And then he says, and the word was God. There's a difference there. He was with God, but he was God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So who is the word? Who is this Logos word? Well, verse 14, which Pastor Renee will cover uh, next week, it says in verse 14, and the word, the word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So who's the word? Who's the Logos? It's Jesus. So, so John starts his gospel his letter out by saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word became flesh he's saying that Jesus is the word he is the logos word of God he is God incarnate he is God eternal and he specifically says that he was in the beginning he was in the beginning and that phrase in the beginning is the same phrase that's used in Genesis 1 1 where it says in the in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth So he's saying that this word, this Logos word, which is Jesus in the flesh, he was in the beginning. Before, so if Jesus was in the beginning with God, then he was there before the beginning had a beginning. Before there ever was a beginning, he was eternally coexistent with God the Father. He was in the beginning with God. John is making it clear in the introduction that Jesus is God. He is saying that Jesus was at the beginning. He existed before the beginning had a beginning. In in Matthew and Luke, 
we see the genealogies of Jesus, right? And I had mentioned that. And they make it clear that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was fully man. In John, he gives no genealogy. In terms of his humanity, he had a human genealogy. In terms of his deity, as we see in John, he has no genealogy. He was in the beginning. Before anything was created, he was with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. This is what John is establishing, that he is at creation. He is the creator, and that's what it says there. And the word was with God, and the, and, and, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so any, any religious system that downplays or denies the deity of Christ is a false religious system. Any religious system. Because Jesus, if Jesus wouldn't have came and claimed to be God, and other New Testament writers hadn't made it clear that Jesus was God, then it really wouldn't matter what we believed about Jesus. He didn't come and claim just to be neutral, just to be another way to get to heaven. He made it clear. He cut a sharp line. And he said, as we read earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus made bold claims. So any other religious system that points to another way and points away from the deity of Jesus Christ is a false religious system. The deity of Jesus Christ is at the crux of Christianity. It is the heart of Christianity that Jesus is and was God. He was in the flesh, demonstrated in the sinless life, died a a death that we deserved, and he is eternally God in that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. But any system that comes up against that is a false religious system. And so it's, it's, it's difficult because Christianity is an exclusive religion. And it's not easy uh, in our culture now. It's increasingly difficult in our uh, intolerant culture for someone to declare that Jesus is God. I, I, I remember back, um, this was in the 90s. You guys remember a video that came out. It made its rounds uh, on the, the internet with Oprah Winfrey. You guys remember that video? And she was talking to somebody in her audience during the during the taping of a show and the lady said you know that Jesus was God was the only way and and Oprah Oprah said basically she said that you do you really believe that 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 can't be true there has to be more than one way there has to be more than one road to get to God that cannot be true and and Oprah and many others like her and it's been like this for centuries but as we have gone on in our society and in our culture as sin increases as as perverseness and anti-god systems of belief increase it has become increasingly difficult to preach what i'm saying here that jesus wasn't just a good man i mean that 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 that's easy just to believe that anybody can believe jesus was a good man he's a he was a historical figure that that literally lived and was a good man and literally died on the cross and We see that in history. But what separates Jesus from any other good man who did good things on earth and taught good things was that after he died, he got up out of the grave. And over 500 people witnessed his resurrection. He proved that he was God by the resurrection. So the fact that he demonstrated that he was God through the resurrection separates Christianity from all other religions. And I just want to remind us all that when you preach the gospel, this is the crux of the gospel, that Jesus is God. 
You're not conveying a message that you're telling people, just apply these principles to your life. Just apply what Jesus said in the, the scripture to your life and you'll have a better life. That, that's, that's, that's not Christianity. Christianity is that Jesus came in the flesh for a specific purpose to be a substitute for sinful humanity so that we can be forgiven of our sins. That, that's the Christian message. Not add Jesus to your life so that you can live a good life and have peace in your life and have joy in your life and not have problems. That's not Christianity. And so as we continue on in this culture, it will, incre- it will, be, it will be more difficult to, to proclaim this, even from, even from a pulpit. We're on TV. You know, we're on TV. We're, we're, we used to be on the radio. I think we're, we're not on live songs uh, now. But, 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 but our messages go on the internet. We live stream now. And, and, and as we boldly pastors, as we pro- proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is God, he is the only way of salvation, we will have to stand on the truth of God's word no matter what happens. And why, and why do we believe this? Because we have life in his name. Because we know that the gospel is true. Because the resurrected, resurrection power of God has been demonstrated in our life and we have been changed, right? And so we know it's true because God has, by faith, he has revealed that to us. He's confirmed it in his word and he's demonstrated it in our life that he's changed us. Amen. What's another thing we see in this first verse here? We see the Trinity. This is another section of theology that is so important that God, now look, this is, we could, we could preach a whole message just on the Trinity and we will never fully grasp the truth that God is one, but he is three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we see in John 1, 1, we see a demonstration of the fact that Jesus was with God, but he was God. Let's look back at, at that verse there in, in uh, John 1. It says, it says in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the word was Jesus, and he was with God in the beginning, and the word was God. There's a distinction there. There's a picture of the Trinity, that God is a Trinity. God is a Trinity. He's God the Father. He's three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In other places in the New Testament, we see a clear picture of the fact that God is a Trinity. We see Matthew 3. This is Jesus' baptism. Matthew three sixteen and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. So you have Jesus and he saw the spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit coming down. And what happens next? And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You have the father speaking from heaven. You have Jesus the Son manifested in the flesh, fully God. And then you have the Holy Spirit descending on him as a dove. A beautiful picture that God is three, but he is one. Three distinct persons. He's not, he's not different modes. He's not God is one and then at one point he demonstrates himself as the Son. And at some other points he demonstrates himself as the Holy Spirit. No, he is. It is the divine mystery of one, yet three distinct persons. And we see this at the baptism of Jesus we see it in creation, right? We see in John 1 that where was Jesus? He was in the beginning. And we're going to see in this next point that I'm going to bring out that he was the creator. But let's look at Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what does it say there? 
the Spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the face of the waters. So at creation, you have the Father, you have the Son who was in the beginning, and you have the Holy Spirit at work in creation. God is a trinity. You know, there's two main religious systems, false religious systems that deny the trinity. The Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. They deny that God is a trinity. The Mormons, they believe that Jesus uh, was uh, a, a son of God, but they believe that Jesus was a, a, not the son of God, but a son of God, just like Lucifer was a son of God, a created being. So they believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. And they deny that Jesus was God. Now they believe that Jesus became a God when he lived on earth and lived a sinless life and attained Godhood. And that now on earth, they they say that you can become a God as well. That Jesus gave us the perfect example of how to become a God. And so they, they, they will say Jesus is the son of God, but they don't, but they don't, agree that, that Jesus is equal with God before he perfected himself on, on earth and gave us a demonstration on how to live. That's the Mormons. The Jehovah Witnesses, they just flat out deny that Jesus is deity and is the Son of God. And so those are two religious systems that attack the Trinity, attack the nature of God. So it is so important that we see Jesus correctly. And this is what John is introducing, that he, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. I, I, I forgot to, to, to I wanted to read this point here. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is, 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 God's, is, is God's only direct creation. So, that, so they believe that, that God created Jesus and, and therefore rightly entitled to call him the Son of God. However, they believe that he is a created being. He is not part of a trinity. And that's directly from their website. They do not believe in the trinity. They deny the trinity. So it's a false system. It's hard, it's hard to, for people to hear uh, when someone says that, but that, that's, that's the nature of what we believe, that Jesus is God. And anyone who denies that, it doesn't believe the truth. And this is what John is saying. He says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and believing in his name, you might have life in his name. Amen. So let's look at this next section. Second thing, that's 819. Hang in there with me. I promise it's going to speed up. This first section was the biggest section. I had a long introduction and a long first point, but we're, we're, we're going to speed up here. So the, the second thing that we see is, let's look at this next verse. It says, all things were made through him and without him was not any, anything made that was made. So what do we see here? The first thing we see is that Jesus is God eternal. He was in the beginning before the beginning had a beginning. And secondly, in this verse, this next verse, we see that Jesus is God the creator. It says all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In the, in, in the Greek, it literally means not even one thing was made. What, what was not made that Jesus didn't make. He made everything. It literally means not even one thing. Jesus was the creator of all things. He is God the creator. Psalms 19.1 says this about creation. It says, The heaven declares the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So this creation that Jesus made, it declares his glory. It shouts at the glory of who he is. And so I just collected a few little facts about creation. As we, as we see Jesus as God the creator... I just kind of, I researched, I went to a website called Answers in Genesis. Who's ever heard of that website? If you've never heard of it, you need to hear of it. Go answersingenesis.org or .com. It is a great, 
website. It's a, cre- it's a creation-centered uh, website that really has a lot of great facts about creation. And so everything I'm going to read is from their website. Let's just look at a few little pieces of, of, of Jesus' handiwork, of God's handiwork in creation. The moon. We have a picture of, of the moon. This is one thing that God created. It was the, 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 the light of the night God created. Let's Here's some facts about what the moon is and how big it is. It says, the moon is the nearest natural celestial body. It is approximately 2,100 miles in diameter. 2,100 miles in diameter. Roughly the size of the entire United States. The moon is about the size and diameter of the entire United States. The moon orbits, orbits at an average distance of 240,000 miles from, from the earth. So it's the size of the whole United States and it orbits off of the United States 240,000 miles away. It is amazing, the size and the scope. The moon orbits the, orbits the earth in a, a roughly circular path taking one month from start to finish. One month from start to finish. So this big, huge light that floats in the sky, in the heavens, and orbits the earth. It takes about a month. Well, what does scripture say? about the lights. Genesis 1.14 says this. It says, Let the lights in the expanse of the heavens separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And so that's where we get our time from is the, the orbiting of the sun and the moon. And, and it's, it takes about a month for it to get around. And that's how our day and our time system works. What a beautiful creation that God has made. It declares his handiwork. It's perfectly positioned and orbiting in the middle of, of our solar system, in the middle of our galaxy, sitting there orbiting. And if it was any closer, we would freeze up. Any, and if the sun was any closer, we would burn up. It's a perfectly positioned orbiting the size of the United States. Let's look at the sun. Here's a picture of the sun. I think Chuck's got a second picture of the sun to show the size of the sun. That's a, an approximate. You guys see the little dot that says Earth there? The moon is about the size of the United States. Look how big the sun is. Let's, let's, let's read this. The sun, like other stars, is a glowing hot ball of hydrogen gas. It derives energy from the fusion of hydrogen to helium in the core. The sun is effectively a stable hydrogen bomb. It's effectively a stable hydrogen bomb. It is an extremely efficient source of energy placed at just the right distance to provide the right amount of light and heat for the earth. Perfectly positioned. The sun is over 100 times the diameter of the earth. The moon is about the size of the, of, of the United States the, earth, the, the sun is over 100 times the, the, dia- the diameter of the entire earth. I mean, look at that. It is, that is so huge, so amazing, so powerful. If it were hollow, it could hold over 1 million earths. If the sun was hollowed out, you could put 100 million, one, 1 million earths in the middle of it. At first, it almost seems wasteful to create such a massive globe merely to provide light for earth until we consider that God created the sun just as easily as the rest of the universe. It wasn't at all difficult for him and it demonstrates his great power. At the incredible distance of 93 million miles, we cannot fully appreciate just how far away the sun is. 
an, an analogy might be helpful. How long would it take to drive 93 million miles? If we were to drive 65 miles per hour to get to the sun, it would take us 163 years to drive to the sun. 163 years at 65 miles an hour. That's a road trip. That's a big road trip. How amazing is the handiwork of God? Jesus at the beginning, before the beginning had a beginning, creating everything that we see, creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so where is the earth at? What galaxy are we in? The Milky Way galaxy. We are, I don't know if Chuck has a picture that shows, yeah, there, we are here. That's where we are in this Milky Way galaxy. So what about this Milky Way galaxy that Jesus, the creator, created for us to, to live in and to exist in? Our galaxy is shaped like a disk with a bulge in the center. Earth is located in the disk, closer to the edge than the center. The disk has spiral arms, and we cannot directly see the spiral structure because we are within it. Our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, contains over 100 billion stars. And the Bible says what? He knows them all by name. He has names for all of them. The galaxy contains more than stars. It also contains nebulae, the same stuff as stars. But whereas stars are compact spheres, a nebula is spread out over a much larger region of space. When a nebula is heated by by nearby stars, it glows often with vivid and beautiful colors. And so I have two pictures pictures of some nebula here. This is the Rosette Nebula. The Rosette Nebula is not only beautiful, it is estimated to be more massive. Listen to this. Think back to what we said about the sun. How large is is the sun? The sun is, it is a hundred times the diameter of the earth. Okay, so a hundred times the diameter of the earth. The Rosette Nebula is estimated to be more massive than 10,000 suns. This is just within our Milky Way galaxy. This is phenomenal. And then we have another nebula, the the, the Eagle Nebula. There's a broader picture, and then we have it up close. This is because of the Hubble Space Telescope. We can see these amazing HD pictures. The Eagle Nebula is several thousand times larger than our solar system. Several thousand times larger. It is incredible to realize that our solar system would not even be even visible on this image. And so you just look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the Milky Way galaxy, these nebulas. I'm like, and, and, and scientists tell us that the earth, that the, the, the solar system and, and, and the hundreds of millions of other galaxies that are out there, solar systems, that we, it's continuing to expand. It's beyond human comprehension. And look what this says in Hebrews 3. This is such a powerful picture here. How awesome Jesus, our creator, is. This is Hebrews 3. It says, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds or creates a house deserves more praise than the creation itself, than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. So what's, what's the writer of Hebrews saying there? The one who built the house deserves more praise than what he built. And look at what God built. That's just a few little facts about creation. Look at the vastness of what he built. And God, deser- God, deserves, God deserves infinitely more praise than what we would give to creation. You look at creation, you just stand in awe at the sheer 
size of it. God is, Jesus our creator is so much more bigger than that. He's powerful. He is God the creator. Amen? Third thing we see in this text. Thank you guys for hanging in with me. Third thing you see in this text is that Jesus is God the self-existent one. Let's, let's read this next section here. Verse it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. He had life within himself. Jesus is self-existent. God is self-existent. God doesn't need anyone to exist. He is not created. And this is what this phrase means, that in Jesus was life. He has life within himself. Life is not put upon him like life was given to us. He has life within himself. He is self-existent. Existent. Jesus is God, the self-existent one. John is declaring that Jesus has life within himself because he is the source of life. He is God, the creator. He is self-existent. He exists apart from his creation. God, de- God derives life from within himself. Where do we get life? From outside of ourselves. We are becoming something. We are becoming. God is being. He's self-existent. He is being. He always is. We at one point we're not, and then we became a living uh, soul, and now we are becoming increasingly closer to death. We are becoming something. God is a state of being. He is self-existent. He needs no one. That is the nature of who Jesus is. He is God, the self-existent one. In him was life. Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's self-existent. He, there, there is no time and space that can, that can constrain God from everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future. He exists and he dwells. He is God eternal. He is God the creator and he is God the self-existent one. God is self-sufficient. He needs nothing. He, is, he was not lacking anything before creation. You know, there are sometimes people can believe that God needs us. God got lonely one day and said, I'm just gonna make somebody to be in relationship with. He, 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 he needed no one to be in relationship with. He was God three in one. He had a relationship with himself. <laughs> He had a relationship with himself. It was the, the divine trinity. And so sometimes people believe, well, God just was lonely and he needed to make humans to be happy with. You know, God, God didn't create humans so, he could, he, so we could be in relationship with him. He created humans to, to demonstrate his glory, to demonstrate his power. And so there's some, sometimes we can, we can begin to puff ourselves up in our, in our own mind and think that God really needs us to do what he needs to do. We were not here long before God. God's been here forever. He decided to create us by his own free will. And if we fall off the planet, God will do what he's going to do because he is a self-sufficient, all-powerful, sovereign God. I heard this story. You guys ever heard of David Platt? He's a missionary and listened to a message a few days ago. And David Platt was in a foreign country and he was doing great works for the Lord in a foreign country, passing out literature to uh, uh, Bibles and Christian literature to people who uh, couldn't get it. And he's sitting up on top of this mountain. He's overlooking the region of this area that he's been ministering to. And he said he just had this thought. And he said it was one of the most prideful things that ever came up in his mind. And he couldn't believe he thought it after he thought it. But he, he thought and he kind of prayed, you know, thank, th- th- thank, thank God that he 
has me to be able to do this. So many people who aren't willing to go and do what I'm doing and what a great blessing it is that I'm willing to do this. And just a sense of this idea that, you know, God really, God really needed him. God needed David Platt to do something for him. And then he opened the book that he'd been reading by A.W. Tozer. And, it, and he read this. This is the first thing he read after having that idolatrous thought. Almighty God, just because he is almighty, needs no support. The picture of a nervous, ingratiating God fawning over men to win their favor is not a pleasant one. Yet if we look at the popular conception of God, this is precisely what what we see. 20th century Christianity has put God on charity, meaning he needs some help. So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy, not to say enjoyable, to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is, is that God is not greater for our being, nor would he be less if we did not exist. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination. It's the first thing he read and he got on his face and he repented. God doesn't need us. What, what does God do? He allows us to be a part of what he does. That's kind of one of the prayers I always like to pray. You know, I pray, God, you're doing something in the earth. You're doing something at Living Word Church. You're doing something in the different areas you've called us to, to live and to work. God, what are you doing so I can take part and be a part of what you're doing? I know you don't need my help. I know you, you're, you're self-sufficient, all-knowing, and all-powerful, and you can get it done. But you've allowed me to play a part in that so that you can get glory through this flawed vessel. And so I think we should never lose the sight that God, is, God, doesn't, God doesn't need us. He wants to use us, but he's all-powerful. And this is the picture that John is painting of Jesus, that he is the self-sufficient God. He's God eternal. He's God the creator, and he is the self-sufficient God. God allows us to take part in what he is doing on the earth. And when we see that, when we see that, man, our service, the way we serve completely changes. And we stop seeing service through the lens of, man, look how great my service is. And we stop looking for the pat on the back because we don't really, because we, when you see God for who he really is, you realize what the, the, the little that you do is, is, is as big as you think it is, God could have done that through anyone. It is an honor that we have. That's why we call it serving, right? It is an honor that we have that God even lets me open. God, the fact, as I was preparing this, I'm like, God, I can't open my mouth tonight. How can I open this sinful mouth that sins with my words and talk about an eternal God? God that is eternal, that is a creator, that is self-existent. How can I talk about him? And he lets me do it. That is an amazing mercy. It's an amazing mercy. That's why, the gospel, that's why the Bible says that through the foolishness of preaching, men are saved. It's foolish. It is a foolish work that we do when we preach as preachers. But God uses it because he's powerful. Last thing in closing that we see in John 1, 1 through 5 is this. Let's read the last verse, verse 5. This eternal life that is light this eternal life, this, this eternal Christ that is creator, that is self-existent, 
that in him is life and, and he, he is light of the world. It says that the, that the light that is full of life shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. What's the fourth thing we see here? That Jesus is God with us. He's eternal. He's self-existent. He's creator. But he's not distant. He's with us. What did Jesus become? God Emmanuel. Let's look at Matthew 1. 20 through 23. But as considered, but as he considered these things, this is Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for, what, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means it's translated God with us. Jesus is God with us. So look how powerful these five verses are. You've got Jesus as eternal God in the beginning. You have, you have Jesus as creator. You have Jesus as self-existent. And then at the end of verse 5, you have Jesus in his incarnation, how he came to the earth and, he sh- and, and, and this light, that's what it means there. The light shines in the darkness of this earth, full of sin and brokenness and destruction. This is a dark world. And God didn't have to come to save this world. But he came, John three sixteen, as we'll read later on in our study. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to be Emmanuel, God with us. To come in the midst of our sin and our brokenness and our shame and, and, and our rebellion against a holy God. He came and came amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. The light shines in the darkness. That's the good news. That is the good news of the gospel, that God came to earth to bear the penalty for our sins, to take our place, to be our substitute. He didn't just stay up in heaven as eternal God, as creator God. He just didn't stay up there. He said that he loved his creation. And he was going to come down and provide a way, come into the darkness and dwell with us and live a sinless, perfect life, become our substitute. This is the incarnation. This is the beauty of the gospel. He came to bear our penalty, to take our place, to be our substitute. And I want you to know something. The darkness cannot put out the light. That verse right there, it says that light shines in the darkness and their darkness has not overcome it. And I want you to know that no darkness can put out the light of the gospel. As I said earlier, in this culture, it's going to be increasingly hard for us to proclaim that Jesus is God. He is the eternal God. He is the way of salvation. But there's no amount of darkness that can put it out. They can try to shut us up. They can try to put us in jail. But just like Paul was chained to a a Roman soldier in in jail, and we see it in Philippians, they may chain us to people, but we're going to preach the gospel wherever we're chained. The darkness can't put out the light. People, people, people can try to say that there is no God because of all the chaos and drama that we see. We see the shooting in Las Vegas, and, it, and it's hard to comprehend. But the darkness, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bleak it gets, the darkness cannot extinguish a light. It can't happen. When light comes into darkness, it overwhelms the darkness. And how powerful is it that Jesus, the eternal God, in the beginning before there was a beginning, the creator of all things, 
this huge galaxy that we just looked at. The sun, the moon, the sun that's a thousand times bigger than the earth. This God that created all of that came as Emmanuel, God with us, and through belief in Jesus as a son of God, he comes in and dwells us through the power of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful and amazing and powerful is that? We take that for granted so much that, that at the power of what the gospel really is. That God in all of his majesty and beauty and sovereignty and power would come and dwell with us. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we, faith in his work, he can come and live on the inside of us through his Holy Spirit. That's powerful. That's amazing. The darkness tried to put out the light, tried to destroy Israel, tried to kill baby Jesus through King Herod, tried to stop Jesus through temptation, and tried to defeat him at the cross. But he couldn't do it. And so this is what John wants us all to hear. John eight twenty four. it says this. This is Jesus speaking. I, I, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe, it's one of the hundred times he's going to say it, for unless you believe that I am he, should be a capital H there, unless you believe that I am he, Jesus the eternal God, Jesus the creator, Jesus the self-existent one, Jesus the third person, of the, the second person of the Trinity, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the gospel. That's what John's all about. Amen? You guys ready for the rest of the book of John? <laughs> I promise it won't be as theologically deep as that. Um, it's the first time I've taught through uh, those five verses. I, I love those first five verses, and they're powerful. And uh, I would have liked to have taught them and had a lot more time. You thought, more time? Man, he would have preached for two hours then. <laughs> it's just, this is a day and a half of study. Um, but so powerful. And what a great way to start this book. God, we just thank you for your word, how powerful your word is. God, it, your word reveals to us who Jesus is. He's a, you, you are the son of God. You are God eternal. God the creator, self-existent one. But who chose, because of your great love for us, to be Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that you've provided a way for us that we don't have to die in our sins. That through belief in your name, We can have eternal life and live with you forever. Amen.